Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today, new A's reliever Sean Kelly stops by to give us his impressions of the A's and tell us what happened in Washington. Then the always entertaining Dallas Braden joins us to talk about the view from his perch and about his newest man crush. And finally, John Shea and I talk about the A's week, including the dreaded attendance conversation. Are you feeling overwhelmed by technology? Do you suffer from a nagging fear of missing out? Join Chronicle Managing Editor Fernando Diaz as he talks to a panel of industry experts about the effects of technology on privacy and ways you can protect yourself. It's Chronicle Chats at Herbst Theater on September 17th. You can purchase tickets at sfchronicle.com slash chats. Today on the A's Plus podcast, we welcome in new A's reliever, Sean Kelly. Sean, I think many A's fans remember you from your years with the Mariners. Uh, and here you are in your very first week with the team. Uh, and then the A's will be, by the time this podcast is up, I think the series will be over. But here, here the A's are facing the Mariners in a key series in a, in a playoff run. What do, what do you think? It's the most uh, important A's Mariners series I've ever been in. Um, I was in a, in a lot of them that weren't as very important. Um, but, you know, it is Major League Baseball, so everything's important, I guess. But uh, it's exciting. It's, uh, it's a very interesting uh, time to be here in, in this race, and it's a fun time. Now, you, you obviously are getting traded in the middle of a season. Well, not well traded first DFA'd, which well, I guess we'll get to that in a second. But coming to a new team in the middle of the season and finding yourself in a pennant race in the other league, what is that like? Well, it's just, I mean, pennant races are pennant races. Wherever they are, you gotta, you got to bring it every night and be ready to play. But, um, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting. This one's, uh, everyone's a little bit different. You know, you're either being chased or chasing or, or you're in the middle and you're chasing and being chased. So uh, this one's a little busier uh, over here. And it's pretty impressive the, the fact that some of these teams in this league with their record and having to fight every night like it's 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 life or death and you know, it looks like one 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 good team's going to probably be uh, get the short end of the of the stick here but um hopefully i can just just like i said when i got here just try not to screw it up <laughs> <laughs> is it, it can be helpful for a reliever you you haven't been in the al west for a few years going to be helpful to move to a new league a new division for a reliever because these guys haven't all seen you recently yeah i i think uh i think for a pitcher especially for a reliever um uh, I think that seeing new faces, seeing guys that you haven't seen in a while, uh, I think I think the pitcher has a little bit of the advantage. Um, there's a lot of information that you can gain by facing guys over and over and, and being in a division for a while. And you have history, but they also have history with you. So um, I, I think it starts to lean towards the hitter the more you face a guy and the more comfortable he is with what you do. So, um, you know, there's a lot of teams in this league that, that guys that weren't even in baseball back when I was in this league. So I'm seeing a lot of guys for the first time, names I haven't even really – uh, heard of yet so uh, I think that's an, an advantage for me but at the same time you know it's it's playoff baseball so you gotta you gotta be ready to pitch every night and and, and, and do your job and do it well how would you describe your style of pitching what what are your strengths oh gosh it's so boring and just so simple um, I, I try to tell these guys you know because you know, nowadays there's just in the 10 years I've been in the league there's a lot more information there's a lot more in the reports there's a lot more technology on what hitters are trying to do and I really try not to even focus on that. I, I literally just, I try to sneak my 91 mile an hour 
four-seam boring fastball past people, and I try to trick them with my slider about 50% of the time, and, <laughs> and every hitter knows it. Uh, it just comes down to execution for me. There's a lot of guys with great stuff that you know have to kind of blend what they do with what the hitter's trying to do, and I just I'm still the same guy I was when I broke in. I just got to execute, and if I do that, I'll 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 more than likely get the job done. If I don't, then you know. I'll, I'll get booed. <laughs> <laughs> You're just trying to bore them into submission. I just, yeah. <laughs> just, just, the more boring that I can be when you guys look up and you go, hey, he's, he's had quite a few good games lately, but it's just been so boring we forgot he pitched. That's good because when there's balls going up in the bleachers and stuff, then, then, you, then you know I pitched, and that's not – that's that's the opposite of boring, and that's not good for me. Yeah, it's funny that, you know, relievers always happy when they, they say, like, you, you guys – you. Reporters never talk to us all season. If we're not talking to you, that's usually a good it's, thing, right? It's, it's really good because when you're talking to us, you know, especially after games, that's not, you, you know, when you guys start crowding around relievers' lockers, yeah. it's because we didn't do something right. Yeah, so, uh, it's never good. so the more boring we are, the uh, the, the better. Kind of like the field goal kickers and the, and the <laughs> exactly. offensive linemen. You know, you don't talk about them until they miss a block or miss a field goal. So, uh, I, I take that mentality with me all the time. <laughs> Uh, now, how how's life in the A's bullpen? Obviously, you're just new here, but so are a lot of other guys. And yeah. you know, you've got you know, your familia is obviously new a little bit before you. Right. But then Fernando Rodney, everybody knows, is is also here now. Well, I was, I'm glad he showed up right after me because now I'm not the newest guy. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's great. You know, it's uh, there's uh, now there's a good mix of you know young guys and, and some veteran guys and uh, a lot of energy. This this team in general has a lot of a lot of youth and a lot of. Um, you know, kind of character to it of, of just kind of not any fear and just kind of raw and it's 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 really fun and it's exciting and it's kind of kind of made it fun for me again. I've been on some really really veteran teams the last the last several years and then um, you know even in San Diego was the year they kind of brought in a lot of guys and in New York I played with a lot of veteran guys so it's been a while since I've had a good young team that you know kind of still reminds you that it's fun to play baseball every now and then so it's 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 kind of cool and um, you know the, the bullpen's just an extension of that so it's it's been a really neat experience so far and um, and I'm looking forward to, to keeping on going. What, what were your two years in New York like? I was so glad I got to be a part of it I, I was there for two really special years I was there for Mariano and Andy Pettit's last year and then I was there for Jeter's whole farewell year so uh, we just missed the playoffs both years kind of towards the end but um, you know it was it, it it's a different brand of baseball. Even playing playing Yankee baseball in April is uh, a lot like playing on some teams and playing playoff baseball in September. So, um, but it, you know they expect a lot out of you, and, and um, you know it's it's something that helped me along my career and and, and made me a better better person, a better player, and, and, I, and I loved it. And, and the people that I got to meet and the things I got to see and, and those some of those future Hall of Famer guys' final years was really special. Then you spend a year in San Diego, and then you sign a three-year deal with the Nationals. Obviously, I think many people in uh, this area remember Sean Doolittle and Ryan Matson with a lot of fondness. What was it like being in the in the bullpen with them? They're great, both great guys. Um, you know, uh, Matson just so much respect for him, and and around the league, I think too from everybody. Just a guy that's been around a while, won a couple World Series. Just an all-around nice guy, and then Doolittle, obviously, the same. Just, a, just a great person. Just, they're both just great people, and and as were most of my teammates in, in uh, pretty much all my teammates in DC. So I mean, it was just, it was really fun uh, being with those guys, getting to know those guys, playing with them for pretty much a year, I would say. I <laughs> broken up, but a, a calendar year. Uh, and so great guys. So uh, you know, I've talked to both of them since I've come over here, and and. Um, yeah, you know, I wish them the best, but they're 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 really good people. We got along really well. 
Yeah, and Blake Trinan obviously was there yep. with you the first half of last year, and now you're here. You are together in the A's bullpen. At one point, I know each of you guys sort of went through the closer ringer yeah. with the yeah, Nationals yeah. last year. Yeah. What was that that experience of kind of briefly being the closer and then not like for you? Well, we you know we Blake started out last year. We were together in in, in part of a really good bullpen and a really good team in '16, and then we were together last year. Um, and he was named the closer out of the out of camp and um, started off well and then had a couple rough ones and then uh, Dusty decided to make a change and put me in that role and then uh, you know it was fine until uh, I ended up hurting my back and missed about three or four weeks and then um, at that point we had a couple other guys kind of filling in and then when I came back it was just kind of like a who just whoever's hot at the time and then and then we made the moves to pick up uh, Doolittle and Matson and. And, and also Brandon Kinsler from the Twins at that time. So um, it was a whirlwind that year, and, and the team was great. And we had a good, you know, and we ended up with a really good bullpen, a very dominant bullpen. Um, but on a personal level, I was just banged up all year and just uh, never was able to get right. It was probably, pro- it was the most frustrating year probably I've, I've had personally. Um, but, you know, I got healthy in the offseason, and, and uh, it's been a different year this year. What did you do? Did you, did you do anything specific? Because it's a, kind of looks like night and day with your health and your results. Yeah, it's just we, we weighed a lot of options. Um, you know, my elbow was pretty jacked up last year. Uh, we went in there and found some some bone spur, loose body kind of things that are in there. But decided, long story short, decided that those were kind of helping me stay in one piece. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so we left them in there and we tried uh, the, 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 really the – least invasive thing that we could do that would really try to promote healing was uh, was actual stem cell from my own body so we went in went under had the procedure where they drill the bone marrow out of your hip and and um, you know spin it down and get the actual stem cell in there and inject that into the and uh, into the joint I let that kind of just fester for about three months without doing much with my arms and then kind of about that time was about when I normally started throwing and just kind of jump back into it fingers crossed and um, you know it's worked out but I, I've been good at managing my elbow with having the two Tommy Johns and, and knowing how to do it it just my elbow spiraled out of control in 17 <laughs> and uh, I think I've got it back under control that's, that's really good I we know a little bit too much about second Tommy, Tommy Johns yeah. here because of Jared Parker so it's an issue yeah. I've, I've paid attention to a lot there aren't a lot of guys who have come back successfully from a second one yeah. how how long did you how long were you, was your downtime after your second Tommy John? It took, you know, I came back. I came back after about a year, like like wow. you, like some guys do. Um, you know, my first one was at eight, was at age eighteen in college, and then my Jeez. second one was at uh, age 25, 26, uh, My second year in the big leagues. So um, I came back after about a year. But what was what what was fortunate is is I when I came back after about a year, it was September. Mm-hmm. So I did a little bit minor league stint, and then I was able to be a September call up, and I was able to pitch in about 10 or 11 games at the end of 2011, but just kind of like, hey, throw, and then you have a few days because you're able to do that in September. Right. We weren't in a playoff race, and, and you know we had plenty of arms. So I kind of got to ease back into it at the big league level and then go into a normal offseason right. knowing that, hey, I, I, I healed and I made it back from the second one. And, and then I felt really good, you know, 18, 19 months out going back into spring training the next year in 2012 and had a really good year. So uh, the timing for me was great, but, you know, I've always just been so dumb that I just tell myself, like, oh, this will be fine. I'm not worried about it, even though there's numbers out there that say only so many guys come back from a second one. And not to mention I've put a lot of miles on my second one. I, I'd venture to say there's I've probably thrown the most games of anybody <laughs> after having a second one, which uh, yeah. <laughs> probably probably by a lot because that was heck that was eight years ago. So um, so yeah, but you know I've been blessed and I've played way more than I ever thought I would, and 
I just try to keep a positive attitude every day and, and laugh at myself. <laughs> good, good genetics or something. Yeah. Now, obviously, your, your time in uh, Washington came to a, a little bit of a strange close, and, and you spoke a little bit to the media here the other day, but uh, it sounds like it kind of just boiled down to a, a, a matter of frustration after giving up a home run late in a, in a blowout that you guys were winning. Right, right. Yeah, just, you know, there was <clears throat> uh, cooler heads didn't prevail. Uh, on that day <laughs> and uh, you know there's a, there's a lot of frustration there's a lot of uh, expectations going into the year and, and we weren't meeting those and and uh, I think a lot of guys were you know tension was high and and um, you know but it, it, everything played out how it played out and um, you know the guys that I know the guys that I'm still friends with on that team the guys that I've played with in the past and will play with they know you know what kind of person I am and and and, and what I'm about and what 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 matters to me and and that's all I really care about in the end. And, and here you are on a very good team going for a potential playoff spot. Having a lot of fun doing it, too. <laughs> now, you're from Kentucky, yep. uh, and you played at, collegiately at Austin P. Mm-hmm. And one thing I noticed was that you also got your degree in political yes. science when you were there. So I did a little research, and I read a Washington Post story that said you were actually working on your, your master's in political science uh, when you, you did wind up getting drafted. Uh, tell me about your interest in politics. Is that something you could still see yourself maybe going into at some point you played for the nationals for goodness sake gosh nowadays i don't know if i want anything to do with politics but um no you know uh it was something that i've kind of found a passion in uh, as i was in school i had some really really uh, unique professors that i was kind of just taking an elective class and kind of stumbled upon and ended up taking more and more and making it a major and then uh with my first tommy john i had an extra year of baseball in college and unlike most people i graduated on time so I had to do. I had to take some kind of class, otherwise they weren't going to let me play my senior year. And I had no. Uh, I had no aspiration of playing pro ball. I didn't. Didn't. You know, I was at a small school. I had some great years and some great statistics, but just didn't really. wasn't really getting a lot of opportunities back then, and wasn't get, talking to scouts or anything. So, yeah, I started my masters, and um, uh, and I had an internship lined up for me that summer after I graduated and finished my last year of baseball, and I uh, was going to finish my masters, do my internship, and probably try to get into some form of. Uh, kind of campaign stuff, like running campaigns, kind of being behind the scenes, not necessarily I didn't want to be the governor right. or the president. I kind of wanted to do the, do the behind the scenes work. and Because um, that's kind of what, that, that was kind of what I was interested in. And then um, another long story short was uh, pitched in a regional game against David Price and threw 10 innings and Every scout on hand saw me, and I got drafted the next week. <laughs> so Price, life have you, changed. Have you said of a bottle of champagne or something? Oh, we talk that? we talk about it all the time. He, he, we all, we still joke to this day when we see each other about who pitched better because he threw nine innings and I threw ten. So, uh, but I tell him I had to, I had to face his lineup, which was the number oh, one team in the country, right. and he had to face my lineup. So I think I did better. <laughs> That's a that's a great story. Could, could you see yourself like I, I mean certainly I'm, I'm assuming you've maintained an interest in politics whether oh, yeah. or not you go into it. Yeah, I mean you never know. I uh, as of right now where I'm at with with my kids and my family and stuff. I just uh, I'm looking forward to to uh, finishing out this season and then who knows maybe uh, maybe spending a summer on the lake on my boat with my kids or something and enjoying a little free time, <laughs> that a little me much time. More <laughs> <laughs> After that we'll see from there. But I, I would when this is. This run went way longer than I thought it ever ever would, and it's been awesome. But you also miss out on a lot of right. things. So I, a lot of time I want to make up for and uh, first, and then you know before I jump back into something full time. Are you thinking this might be it for you then? It's possible. Yeah, I've, I've told a lot of I've told a lot of my, my close friends, my family that you know uh, it, it would take something pretty 
pretty either either convenient location wise or something that I maybe couldn't turn down to, to probably get me to come back to another spring training. So And where do you guys live in the offseason? <laughs> Chattanooga, Tennessee. Mm. So huh. yeah. <laughs> that's not all that low close to here. Sean. No, it's not. But you know what? We'll, we'll let's let's see how this goes and exactly. see what kind of youth these young guys put back into me. <laughs> <laughs> and what what do you make it? Not just to the bullpen of what this team is doing and, and the kind of the makeup of the the whole team. Especially, you know, you hear rumblings and, and even though being on the East Coast you don't see a lot of West Coast baseball, especially when you guys are actually playing on the West Coast a lot. Uh, you know, when the West is playing the West in interleague. So, I mean, I'm going to bed before you guys are even in the fifth and sixth inning a lot of nights. But, um, you know, you, you hear about the team, you see highlights, you, you just you, you can you kind of sense that there's an energy about it. And, um, and then obviously now getting to be here even for a short time that I've been here, it's, uh, you know, these guys are great. It just it kind of reminds me of when I was younger and, and, and early in my career. And, and um, it's just uh, it's a it's a very unique group of guys, and it, the chemistry is exceptional, and it works. And um, and like I said, it's been fun. When you were younger, you were like what thirty three right now, <laughs> thirty four right now. Oh, boy. But in baseball years and two Tommy Johns, that's pretty old. That's true. Your, elbow, your elbow's much older. My elbow's than about eighty five. I feel like some days, and <laughs> when it rains, it hurts. Uh, Sean Kelly, thanks so much for joining us on Ace Plus. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Welcome Dallas Braden into the podcast. We usually like to have little segment titles, and I'm not sure. As usual, Dallas, you don't really fit any sort of category. Uh, I'm going to say player's <laughs> choice, maybe, but I don't. Maybe you have your own special Dallas Braden segment. I think that would be only appropriate. Um, obviously, I've known you going back to your minor league days, and uh, I am not surprised at all that you're a broadcaster, since you could always talk. Um, how are things going this year with this year full time? now gig when the A's are at home, uh, either in your little perch near the plate or a lot of times up in the booth now. Yes. You, you know, it's great. First of all, Susan, thank you very much for having me. And uh, it, it is, it is an honor. It is a pleasure just to think just briefly how full circle things have come, not only for myself, uh, but now here I am talking to you in a completely different capacity, something I always enjoyed as a player, something that I'm very happy and I'm very privileged that I get to do now as a colleague of yours. So just, just that off the top, thank you for having me. Oh, uh, thank, thank you for joining us. Yes, yes. Uh, secondly, I've enjoyed the hell out of it. And it's funny that you use the word perch because that seems to be what a lot of people use to describe kind of where I'm sitting. And I'm asking my good buddy Clay Wood, uh, the groundskeeper there, to figure out exactly how far it is from home plate to my perch because I feel, I mean, I know I'm a little farther than 60 feet, 6 inches, but I am damn near as close as I was on the mound to home plate as I am now. And that is that is that is, that is thrilling to me because I, I really do feel the game. You understand that the game has a pace to it. It has energy to it. It has a life. It has DNA. And I am right there, and I can feel and touch all of that and as a broadcaster and I mean just being able to work with Kipe and, and, and Foss and Foss his brilliant baseball mind being able to bounce things off each other uh, in between innings during the game will kind of just kind of I've talked to him about this how it feels like at times we just kind of black out and go into a, a pitcher catcher sort of conversation a, a nice little dance you know and then it's like oh you wake up and man the game is still going on and it's a great one. What kind of interactions do you have down there in your perch? You're, you're very close. I'm assuming you've had some 
some fairly amusing things go on when you're down there, right? I mean, you're practically oh, in the on-deck oh, circle. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. Like, I've seen a marriage proposal. Uh, what, what's awesome is people that sit down there at the diamond level, there's some hungry folks. And so their food, their food comes swinging through. Inevitably, it's got to go right by me. So I cannot confirm nor deny that your nachos have probably gotten to you a little lighter than uh, they were when they came out of the kitchen. Apologies, but you didn't die. Neither did I, which means the food is quality there. So I've got a, I've got an amazing scenario, just amazing scene unfolding every day for me because I've got the folks <clears throat> who are sitting just to the left of me, and oftentimes it's families with small children who are really getting an up-close personal experience uh, at, at a baseball game for the first time. That's always great to see because I feel like as a former player, I feel like as a broadcaster, uh, I, I, I'm, not, I, I don't, I'm not old enough, and my, I don't know that my status in the game would ever garner the label of a keeper of the game, but I want to grow the game as much as possible and knowing what sort of impact just a high hello a picture taken uh, autograph signed can have on someone coming to the ballpark for the first time and, and it's kind of like they've been planted right there and I, I get to be this you know sprinkler of sorts that just gets to spray my love for the game back and forth across anybody that's in in distance. <laughs> huh. Well, that's uh, maybe a little bit of an unfortunate <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I do like that you're, you're, pro you're providing the extra service of like um, quality control with the food as it goes by. So that's, that's yeah, very it good. is, it is, you know, it's twofold and it is free of charge again. You know, it's something that I think the front office should be aware of. It's free of charge. <laughs> this is something I will do uh, on my own throughout my time here. So don't even worry about that. That one's on me. So you're also very distinctive looking, uh, obviously, now. Uh, you, you, during your play, playing days, you were still relatively clean cut. Um, how would you describe your look? Um, uh, I would say transient is probably a good place to start. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a very transient look. Uh, it's a very uh, zero Fs given type, <laughs> of, uh, type of approach. I've always been a, a low maintenance to no maintenance type of guy. And uh, this is what happens when you go low, no maintenance on the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, before there were clippers involved, I had an awesome teammate slash barber in Rajay Davis who kept it uh, high and tight for me. But now that I don't have to worry, it's odd, you know, because it's it's weird. I was going to say now that I don't have to worry about being in front of a bunch of people. Which yeah, is you're on, in case, front of way more people now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a TV, and a lot of people are paying attention. To these, but but I think what it, uh, like like for me, in all honesty, it's just uh, <clears throat> you know what I think it's it's really cool that the organization I don't want to say has encouraged me to just be me, but that has been one of the messages that they had sent very early on uh, was look, you are you. Um, people enjoy you for who you are. And I know personally that me being me is simply why people want no part of me. That's all good because I've, I've got enough friends and Susan, I don't like half of them and I'm not in the business of making anymore. But if you're into the baseball game, I'm your friend and we can be friends. So it's all good. I think the look is something folks gravitate towards uh, if they're sort of feeling like, you know what? I just want to let my hair down too. I want to just kind of do my own thing. It's okay. It's okay to do it because What's on the outside doesn't mean that what's on the inside isn't worth listening to. Yeah, it's very Oakland too, right? You know, it's very Oakland A's, very Oakland. Oh, for sure. Yeah, do your own sure. thing. Yeah. 
love well, it. That's, yeah, it's it's something you know, like and and you know all the all the talk about the ballpark and and adding flavor and local taste to the ballpark. I think that's just something that has helped me, you know, again re ingratiate myself with the fan base. Is I haven't changed. I'm the same. I'm the same guy. I'm the same personality. I, I was when I was playing. Now I just get to help talk about the game and and teach the game and, and describe the game as it unfolds. Yeah, it makes in you a little it, different capacity. It makes you very recognizable too, which I does I do think helps when you're out in the public and sitting where you're sitting. Everybody knows where you are. People can say hi, and I think it you know it because you are uh, it's unusual. I think it makes people automatically feel like they can approach you. You know what I mean? So that's nice. yeah, no, for sure, and that, and that's and that's something that's something I do encourage. I always encourage that. If I'm out there, I mean, there's going to be moments where I have my headset on and I'm listening to the guys in the production truck, and they're giving me, you know, <clears throat> directions on what we're going to be doing, or I'm going over stuff. I'm trying to set up my my little area, you know, because I've got my computer out there. I'm always I'm, I'm trying to stay one pitch ahead of each guy on each team. Um, so when I'm setting stuff up like that, you know, I, I always say, just give me a few minutes. And fans are always great about that. But the minute that that headset comes off and, and, and you just you want to autograph a picture or whatever, just shout my name. And, and I'm always happy to to talk to anybody. Oh, that's nice. Uh, you've also been doing some color uh, on the broadcasts uh, on occasion, filling in much as Mark, your, some of your t- former teammates have done before you, Mulder and Chavez and Scott Hatterberg's been done it some in, in the past. How are you enjoying that, The doing the color announcing? I enjoy it thoroughly. I do. Um, it's it's sort of, you know, like, like you said, being down on the field and in my perch being up top, uh, they offer different perspectives, not only physically, but uh, just from an assessment standpoint of the game. The, the line of sight is completely different as well. But just being in the booth and kind of being able to explain to the viewers what the game situation is like right now, what it dictates, because they're, they're, they're no dummies. You know, they, they can see that there's a runner on first base. They can see that there's less than two outs, and we would really like a ground ball double play here. But what I wanted to pay attention to is how big of a lead this runner's getting maybe what his stolen base attempt efficiency rate is. And we know that we've got Jonathan Lucroy back there, who I believe leads all of baseball in runners thrown out. So those little things that you get to make the audience aware of. So for me, those are the types of things that if you're sitting at home watching the game, you can see it visually. You now still have the opportunity to get them to move just a little further to the edge of their seat and pay attention to this scenario right here. And I think that's really cool because for me, every pitch is exciting. I know that's not necessarily the case for everybody at home watching. So being able to really identify those points in the game and turning those not only to exciting moments for the fans, but also teaching moments because high leverage situations are oftentimes moments in the game where one decision made one way or the other could sway the entire ball game could change the entire complexion and having the opportunity to engage an entire fan base in that moment that's what being up in the booth and coloring glenn's commentary 
gives you. That's the that, that that's the opportunity it provides. Yeah, it's it's interesting that that seems like the the very best color commentators are either former catchers or pitchers. And what I love that you and Ray both provide is that that real look into the batter pitcher matchup. You know, pitch by pitch, the strategy that goes into every count, every spot in the oh, lineup. Yeah. Each inning, as it turns over, you know it's 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 from small things to bigger things, and then they keep expanding, and it all relates. I I love as you remember from your playing. I love talking about that stuff, so I I really love listening to you describe that stuff on the air. It's fantastic. Now you you're uh, maybe it's no coincidence, Dallas, but since you've kind of been on the scene essentially now full time at home, this A's team seems to be very good this year. I, I don't know, maybe oh. it's, maybe it's you, probably. Um, what, what have your impressions been of this team take, so I will far? Take the major- I, I, yeah, I will, I will take the majority yeah. of that credit. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate that. Um, my, my impressions early, like, let's be real. Let's rewind and unpack it from the beginning. Start of the season, if you were to tell me that this team was a 90-plus win team, I would ask you where you were coming from and then probably tell you that you were high yes. and that I don't, I don't see that happening. Sorry. I had them. At an 85 win club, that's where I said I, this is exactly where I think we can play. Based on the young rotation, the steps I think that they can make this year, the strides they can make, I feel like they'll get a little more dirt under their cleats and they'll be right where they need to be. And who knows what the offense will be able to do? We know we've saw flashes of so something to be excited about because obviously the development of Chapman and Olsen is something everybody's going to be watching closely, but the emergence of a Chad Pender and Martini has, has arrived. So what we have now and what we were looking forward to at the beginning, say before the first pitch of the season are two totally different clubs. It's a 2.0 rotation. It's a 2.0 bullpen. We've gotten a lot of help from a lot of different places in the lineup. There doesn't seem to be a, quote-unquote, superstar performer from the start of the season up until now. But somehow Chris Davis has quietly hit the second most home runs in baseball and the second most RBIs, quietly. Jed Lowry, his first all-star caliber campaign. I don't know if it's his first caliber campaign. It's the first one he's been acknowledged for. Um, And then Blake Trinan, obviously, has done what he's done as the stopper. So this team is completely different than what I think a lot of people expected it to be at this point. And not to give like a super, like not to get, get very in-depth here, but like Lou Trevino, him, I, I, I said this in, in May. Lou Trevino showing what he could do, <clears throat> excuse me, and providing the punch he has provided, Susan, he has made that bullpen what it, what it is. And there's no questioning that in my mind. Just, just because he allowed everybody else to get the ball to him who was having no problem getting the ball to trying it yes and that 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 made that made all the difference in the world yes it must be a little strange for you because i mean you've been teammates with anderson and cahill and here they are back now and and pitching really really well it's all it's it's awesome it's awesome to see it's um you know it's like uh it does kind of feel like they never left um and it was funny because I was here for Giambi's return and they used the, you know, he used the, he used the phrase sort of feels like I've just come back home. I'm the big brother who's returned home from college. And that's kind of what it feels like with those two, you know, cause I'm out there 
<clears throat> and I'm and I'm, I'm watching the bullpens with these guys, and I obviously have the opportunity to talk to these guys, you know, in the clubhouse when when we're all in there talking to them, um, and just the, the the maturation that they have both gone through in their own ways is is really cool to see, and it's no mystery to me why they're both having success now even at this point and back in this situation because it's a very comfortable situation for me. Sure, I think we can all attest to that. Coming back home to where things began as far as getting to the big leagues, you know, they're, they're as comfortable as could be. And they, they've just got a very different view of how the game is now as opposed to how it was before. Because we're watching Brett Anderson, Susan, who was basically allergic to a changeup early on in his career, has now just bent down, picked one up, and hasn't stopped using it over the past, I want to say, like four or five outings, has been spectacular. Spectacular. What what he and Mike Leake did yesterday, I mean, oh my God. I, 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 that, that for me, like, yeah, we saw Manaya's no-hitter, but that performance yesterday, incredible. Incredible. The yeah. best both, the best two-sided pitching performance of the season, bar none, don't at me, bro. <laughs> It's true. It's really, I mean, it's been, it's been amazing. It's been a sort of a different guy almost every day, which is what you want with, that's what happens with good teams is it's different, different guys every day. Now I I was going to ask you your favorite moment of the season, since you've provided many people's one of their all time favorite moments with your mother's day, perfect game. But is there anything that stands out to you from this season so far? Any, any really great moments that you particularly like to think back on? Uh, I mean, probably recency bias, but the <clears throat> the Loriano play is yeah. is fairly ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, I mean, I I could spend I could spend all day going over Matt Chapman highlights. <laughs> um, I, I I just I think honestly I I <clears throat> and I and I'm I don't know why I'm hung up. Maybe it's a <clears throat> maybe it's a suppressed man crush I have on him, and I didn't even know it. But Nick Martini has, in my opinion, meant a ton to the A's run, you know, Fowler, he takes off, he's gone. Martini comes up and puts together, I mean, very early on, some very, very, very mature at-bats, patient at-bats. Um, and I don't know if it was, you know, it's not one day that really caught my attention. I think it was just a, a body of work up until this point. He has still continued, whether he's hitting the ball hard taking pitches, spoiling pitches, working a walk. I just, I've really appreciated his consistency. I think uh, having been thrown into the top of the lineup in a lineup that has done what it's done up until this point. So I think that's something that I've kind of, you know, been excited about. And then I obviously have already gushed about Lou Trevino. So those are, those are two of the, two of the things that I pay attention to offensively and I guess on the pitching side. I, I think it's got a, it's Martini's beard, right? That's probably what it is. It probably is. I just gravitate towards the follicles, Susan. And yeah. That's what that's what it, that's what does. It's, he wins weird. me over. Yeah, that's great. Well, Dallas, thank you so much for joining us on Ace Plus. I I hope we get a chance to talk to you again, maybe before the end of the season. We've got always got plenty to talk about here, uh, and you are a constant delight to talk to, and always have been. So, thank you so much. No problem. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be doing this during the postseason, right? Oh we'll yeah. Definitely oh, we both will be. Other. Absolutely. Sounds good. Fantastic. Thank you, Dallas.
it is time for Shea Plus, uh, John Shea, the Chronicles national baseball writer, joining us to talk about the A's. Yet another fun and interesting week for for Oakland, John, um, starting with, the, of course, the big series against Seattle. They've got the, another biggie coming up against Houston. What do you make of where they are now, particularly now that uh, they're in the thick of this AL West race and, and here are the teams that they're going head-to-head against? Well, the other night when I covered the game and they moved to within a game of first place, I couldn't believe what I was writing. 11 and a half back in mid-June, and then it became one. And it, the A's over the years have been known as a second-half team. The good teams they've had, the good second-half team. And, and I didn't know this was going to be a good team. I know I, I figured 500 would be a very successful season. But they're blowing me away. They're blowing their fan base away with how they're playing. And it's not just hitting it's not just the bullpen it's actually defense in the rotation and who would have thunk it yeah it's pretty amazing uh the starters in particular uh have really been surprising in this last week or two it's funny it seemed like as soon as the the front office went out and got a bunch of relievers the starters all really picked up the pace and it's it's like you know a team if they have one successful reclamation project a year uh, that's pretty amazing these whole rotation right now with the exception of Shamanai is essentially reclamation projects uh what what especially Edwin Jackson Brett Anderson what he's done lately what, what do you think of what they're doing and, and Cahill to a certain extent it wasn't that long ago he was a reliever and now they're all going six seven innings and all they want out of them is four or five but it seems every time one of these guys starts and does well they all say the same thing we don't want to be the weak link you know not only do we not want to be the weak link in the rotation, we don't want the rotation to be the weak link on the roster. And it, it's almost as if they had a meeting as, and, and, and said, let's not be the weak link. I mean, in, in the uh, Seattle series alone, their ERA was 1.69. Going back 14 games, it's 1.84. This is the rotation, the battered rotation that, you know, Tommy John here, Tommy John there. Well, there's nobody left. Let's get Jackson. Let's bring back Cahill. Let's bring back Anderson. And now it's like a frontline rotation. It, and, and, of course, Manaya is, you would think, maybe the guy who would throw that wild card game. And then they you know, bolster it at the, at the, you know, after the trade deadline with, with the fifth guy that they really needed. They were using a four-man rotation at the, at the time. But, um, you know, with fires, it's, it's, it's it, now, now you have five guys, and it seems like you have a reliable person every night. And that wasn't the case early on when only Manaya was the reliable guy. Yeah, it's a, it's really interesting. I think the Fernando Rodney acquisition, I believe, is, is since we last spoke. Uh, adding yet another all-star closer, uh, how, how does that work in your mind? Well, it's like watching an all-star game. Like every inning, they have these guys come in, and I can't believe Rodney is wearing an A's uniform with a tilted cap and <laughs> without the arrow. And it, it's, wait a minute, I mean, should I... I didn't I see this guy in Washington in uh, the All-Star game? If not, I've seen him in previous All-Star games. And if, Familia, you know, front-line closer when he's on, uh, Rodney, and, and they, they just keep getting deeper and deeper. And it's it, it's like, well, you, you, that old adage, you can't have too too much pitching. Can you have too much pitching? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's But Rodney's he, he's fun. It, it's, um, you know, may, maybe A's fans don't know the whole history, but, you know, the arrow and the tilted cap, it's, they're, they're kind of cool stories. They say, well, is he showboating? Is he just flashy? Well, no, not really. I mean, the, 
the tilted cap is a tribute to his dad who died shortly before he became a big leaguer and he was a fisherman back in the dominican and that's the way he, the dad wore his cap so he could shade the sun from his eyes while while in a boat so it's 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 not flashy it's not just you know crazy personality look at me i'm different it's an honor to his dad and and the arrow is uh you know the the name of his hometown in spanish uh was, was arrow yeah La so it's, so yeah exactly so it's it's kind of a neat story and so it's it, it's uh it, it's cool to know the guy i mean he just suddenly burst on the scene and, and he's pitching the seventh inning the eighth inning the sixth inning as they all do i mean is there any rhyme or reason to how how bob melvin uses the bullpen what what uh in, in your opinion, what's the perfect 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth? Well, I, going backwards is the easiest way to do it because obviously we know that Trinan has the ninth, uh, and we know Familia really is usually going to have the 8th. So that leaves him a lot of options for 6 and 7, and I think that's going to depend on where they are in the lineup. Uh, it's going to depend on the opponent. It's going to depend on who's pitched most recently. Um, but it looks like Rodney, more often than not, has been the guy in the seventh, uh, which mm. is not necessarily a bad thing because it, it's going to take a little bit of the uh, workload off of Trevino, who doesn't necessarily look tired, but certainly he's uh, surpassed his innings totals for previous years. He's young. He's available when needed, but they don't have to overload him. Trevino is is the guy to watch, I think, down the stretch because he's really never done this before. He's a rookie, and he's never been in a pennant race, and all these other guys have. They've all done it, and uh, and and I think he he could be the key because if he's going to be in these late inning situations, whether it's the seventh or maybe some days the ninth or the eighth, uh, he's going to have to get it done, and it, it's. Uh, these other guys are battle tested, but he's not. Yeah. Well, and here's you know I, I think I mentioned it last week. My uh, my wild card for the bullpen in September and maybe a postseason is Jesus Lazardo. I, I think he could be a guy who could come in, maybe work a little bit in the pen and, and be kind of a like like K Rod or David Price, you know, in playoffs past for for other teams as young pitchers. Uh, now the Houston series is coming up. Uh, Houston's dinged up quite a lot. Is this a good time to be facing the Astros? Do you think for the A's? Well, that's what the Giants thought a week and a half ago when Houston came in for a two-game series, and Houston didn't have any of these guys. Uh, Carlos Correa was still hurt, and uh, Altuve, of course, and 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 Springer and McCann. Pretty much everyone up the middle: the catcher, the second baseman, the shortstop, the center fielder. And now Correa's back and Springer's coming back Friday. So they're piece by piece getting it all together. But, but remember that series against the Giants? The Giants held one nothing leads. Great starts by their rotation guys, um, Rodriguez and Bumgarner. And both times the Astros beat them in the end. So two to one, three to one. So you've got to, you've got to score on them. Um, they're getting better. Their offense is getting more complete. And they can't do what they did in the final game against Seattle and just go zero after zero and on the scoreboard. They're going to have to put up some runs, and you know it's, it's going to be uh, it's going to be up to the rotation again and the bullpen to to keep them down. But it, 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 I was talking to uh, Marcus Simeon after the second win over the Mariners. I asked him about, hey, you you're you're one game back. What's that feel like? You know, it's something. Who, who would have asked that? And, mid-August of this team when when you look back to spring training how this was going to pan out 
he looked at me and says, well, we're still in second place. I said, oh, man, this guy. So the focus is keep going. It's not second place is cool. Let's let's go to the wild card. It's uh, as he said, we've already won this series. And if we can if we can win the next series, uh, you know, we might be in first place. Well, that that's not true now because they're entering the series two games back. And if they win two out of three, they'll game just a game if they sweep they would be in first place but that that kind of explains the mindset around there suddenly it's not we're just happy to be a wild card team it's let's go for the gold absolutely and you know it's still the idea of winning series is 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 always a good one you win most series you're going to have a very good year it served the a's pretty well they've lost uh, just one series in the last two months one. In, in, I mean, that's just uh, they're they're not a blip anymore. This is not just sort of a hot streak. I, th- I think this is this is who they are. But we've had some some other interesting things going on. I know you were out there the other day when um, Matt Chapman spoke a little bit more about his desire to see some more fans out at the park. Uh, what do you make of this whole thing? You know, I, uh, Bay Area media tends to jump on the A's attendance a lot, uh, and then I immediately hear from a lot of fans who have legitimate concerns about. Uh, you know, things that ownership has done over the years in the Coliseum. And, of course, everybody has their own lives and, and can't necessarily get out to every game. Uh, the fans very get, uh, to some degree, rightfully uh, defensive about the issue. But I was out there Monday night. There were 10,000 people against, uh, you know, the Mariners' big game. And, and the team was disappointed. Uh, I think that fans who uh, hold... Uh, owners responsible that the people that winds up hurting are the players. Uh, I, I, I understand the the uh, the feeling of I, I don't want to give John Fisher any of my money and uh, I don't like the way the players have been revolve, revolving door. But uh, John Fisher is going to come out of whatever his situation with the A's is extremely rich. The team just keeps going up in value. Uh, but the players are the ones who, when the seats are empty, I think they're they're the ones that, that pay the price a little bit there. What, what did you make of what Chapman said and, and kind of where the A's are, are right now with their attendance? Yeah, well, I've covered a lot of players who've played at terrible facilities, and this goes back to Candlestick Park. And some of them have expressed their opinion and said, said so in a maybe blunt manner like uh, what's wrong with these fans they don't you know and it, it's never a good thing for a player to criticize a fan because the fan is the guy paying 10 20 100 200 for a ticket and you know a lot of that goes to the players uh the way chapman did it i thought it was delicate professional powerful it was really better than any other player i've ever heard from yeah. Uh, address the the uh, the lack of fans, and this goes back, like I said, to Candlestick Park and the Giants, and how awful that was, and a lot of guys popping off, whether it was Jack Clark or you know, all the way through into the '90s, and you know, obviously they stopped doing that with the new park they have over there. But the way Chapman did it, it wasn't critical. It wasn't being upset. It wasn't I'm disappointed at you guys. Why aren't you here? It was, hey, I'm cur- encouraging you to guys to come out. Uh, we got something special here. Let's enjoy playoff baseball together, the pennant race together. And I thought it was very well done. And I asked him the day after, you know, he did this on the post-game show on TV Monday after, like you said, 10,000 showed up. So I asked him before Tuesday's game, I said, but what brought that on? And he said it was pretty much all ad-libbed, just spur of the moment. He didn't know he was going to be on TV because, you know, they usually have like a player of the game or – somebody who did well in the game and he pretty much 
interrupted the conclusion of the interview and says, well, I got something to say. And they let him say it. And it was a pretty nice forum. So he used that to encourage fans. And then guess what? The next day, 7,000 more show up. It's 17,000. It's free parking Tuesday. That certainly had a lot to do with it. But when I told him uh, after the game, I said, you know what the attendance was? It was 7,000 more. And according to an A's official, usually they, usually they get about 1,000 walk-ups on Tuesdays. And this night, there were 4,000. And I told him those numbers, and he, he got all excited. He <laughs> says, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right on, you know? You know, and, and I guess they had 17,000 more for Wednesday, the day game. But, you know, slowly but surely. But I, I heard from a lot of people on Twitter and emails saying, yeah, you know, uh, we didn't know if we were going to go, but Chapman w- was the guy who uh, pushed us to go, and so here we are. Nice. So it was kind of a neat, a neat thing in in that regard. I think it was well done by him. But yeah, uh, fans have been neglected uh, by this team for a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, terrible, uh, lo- low payroll. They trade their players uh, uh, before they make the big money, and they just haven't done a very good job getting to the stadium because they don't have one, and they've been trying for decades. So uh, this ownership, the previous ownership. Uh, uh, you can go. You can keep going back, and it's it, it, this ownership is just not getting it done because it's it's been nothing but talk so far. And we want these sites, and uh, until there's a shovel in the ground, I don't think fans are really going to believe that they're ever going to have a stadium. Fifty years from now, we'll still be at the Coliseum. A lot of people might imagine, and you know, I I, I don't blame them for thinking that. So it, it's it's wonderful just to sit back and watch the team on TV, which a lot of fans do. It's still an exciting product, obviously. There are a couple of games from first place as we speak. But, uh, you know, they're doing a lot, too. They're doing stuff off the field. They're trying to do some things on the field. But, yeah, you can never blame the fan in this uh, particular uh, example. No, it's their money. They get to decide how to spend it. I think you're 100% right. I think Chapman handled it very well. It was all positive. I really liked uh, Shamanaya on Twitter, also very positive, mm-hmm. said, you know, we're playing really well. We're having a lot of fun. I think we're, we'd be f- – kind of fun for you guys to come out and watch us. I think you'd enjoy it, which, you know, that's the best way to put it. You know, it's, a, it's almost like a little mini commercial. You know, the A's didn't did away with their traditional commercials this year, so the A's are, players are kind of taking it on themselves to, to do a little bit of, of marketing on their own. Um, you know, I think people that haven't been out to the Coliseum for a long time, it is a different experience than it used to be. They've really done some nice things out there. Uh, I wrote a story last week about the mm-hmm. the new way they're handling season tickets for next year, this a, all A's access pass, which uh, I talked to Chris Giles for, for on the podcast. Uh, and and it's I think people are actually um, starting to get fired up about that. And you mentioned the stadium. I think the A's are setting up for... Uh, if they do a few things like make a stadium announcement in the next, say, month or so, maybe announce a contract extension, you know, like a Chris Davis or Bob Melvin. That's a little getting a little Bob overdue. <laughs> yeah, they could yeah. they could have a, a kind of a perfect storm of really good news, a team playing well and either maybe a stadium or an extension or something like that. I think those kind of things could really work to their to their advantage to, to bringing a lot of fans back. But I would like to see them do one more thing besides sort of this, you know, the, the tree house and the promotions and the, the past. They need to do something showing a commitment either to a player or, or to a stadium, and, and I think that would that would go a long way. Uh, they also did, so, you know, they've been very good about their team history since Dave Cavill came in. That's something he absolutely loves, uh, and I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, they instituted a new... A's Hall of Fame. 
uh, and they had an inaugural class. I know you took a little bit of a look at it. It's small, but I think that's good because they'd like to do this every year. What what were your impressions of that first team? Well, uh, good and bad. I mean, it, it, obviously the names, all the Hall of Famers, plus Dave Stewart. Uh, Charlie Finley was a little odd, I thought. Uh, um, there's, there's no mention of Haas. There's no mention of... Uh, uh, any non-Hall of Famers from the 70s. But, I, you know, it, it, they, they can do whatever they want. The the thing that, that struck me was the press release, I don't know, I think I would have done this a little differently if I were the marketing uh, guru over there. I mean, they announced this thing in the afternoon during a huge series, and there's there's no press conference, there's no anything like that, but they just say, well, we're going to have a Hall of Fame. I mean, to me, that's that could be huge. That's okay. The questions are, well, what is it? Is it a hall? Is it a wall? Well, we don't have the answers to that. There's a committee. Well, who's on the committee? There's no answer to that. They said they're, you know, they're going to honor. What is it? September 9th when they're going to acknowledge Fifth. this first class, the, September 5th. And they said, well, they're they're going to have a giveaway. Well, what's the giveaway? I mean, it was, there's all, there's all these unanswered questions in this press release. If it were up to me, I would make a big deal out of this. I yeah. would I would have a press conference. I would have it have nine Ricky or ten there in the morning. For starters, yeah. I, I would have Ricky there, and I would have all the answers to the questions that are unanswered right now. Or I would have it in April or May, when when you're trying to drum up support, not in the not in the heat of a pennant race, and I, it, it it hardly made mentioned in 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 the papers or online and it uh it just kind of came and went and i i thought that it could have been a lot bigger than that yeah that's a really good point i, I think that that's if you're gonna have, do something do you know like that absolutely a press conference and at least bring in ricky but yeah ricky and riley fingers are both working for the team so that mm-hmm. that's pretty easy to get those guys to come in and say hey we're really excited have one of them make the announcement you know something like that or, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's what loves teams do. Stuff. Say, hey, so. yeah, well, it, it, this, this is another thing, though. I, I think Dave Cavill is trying to do so much yeah. in such a short period of time that they just kind of tried to jam this through. Hey, yeah. here's another great thing. Well, I, I, you know, sometimes you need to step back and breathe and 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 pick your spots. And I and I think this could have been uh, a much bigger presentation. Than a, than a press release. Well, you kind of wonder if because that series is against the Yankees, if maybe they did it then to make sure that they could get Reggie Jackson because sometimes he'll mm-hmm. he shows up when the Yankees are there and, and not another other time. And no, he doesn't. He so, doesn't show up. So maybe <laughs> unless unless, unless he gets paid, right? Yeah, maybe that has something to do with it. Um, before we wrap up, uh, Ramon Laureano's play uh, the other day at Anaheim, <laughs> sensational, running the opposite way into the gap and left makes an incredible catch and then turns and uh, throws a guy out, uh, doubles him off first. Really just, I mean, an all-around extraordinary eye-popping play. Where did it stand for you? Uh, the Cespedes throw in Anaheim was the one that uh, sprang to most people's minds, but uh, what did you think of that one? Yeah, and, and didn't Cespedes kick it? Cespedes so kicked it, 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 which is so yeah. Cespedes, it almost makes me love it a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, so, so so this guy didn't do anything wrong. He didn't kick it or oh, misplay no. it. He started it with a sensational play. 
<laughs> and and the only thing, the, the thing that made it most amazing was it's it's like he double clutched or uh, you know double crow hopped uh, yeah. because at first he was thinking, okay, I got to hit the cutoff man. And then he said, screw the cutoff man, I, I'm throwing it all the way. I'm throwing it over a football field to first base <laughs> where Olsen is just standing there. He doesn't have to stretch. He can like deep the runner and and act like nothing's happening at the last minute. Put his glove up, strike. It, it was really it was really amazing. And same with Cespedes. But in, in this case, he went a long way to catch it and then really had no idea what, where the runner was. And then when he picked up the runner, he said, well, I'm going for it. And this is not six foot four Dave Parker. This is about five foot ten and just a rifle arm. I mean, he's well built, but he's just not a tall guy. And uh, it's like, where, where has this guy been? And he, he can play center field as well as anyone they have, I guess, better than anyone they yeah, have. He's their so, fastest so, player. Though Canna has been really remarkable, considering that was never uh, part of his history playing center field, except for maybe as a kid. So it's 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 pretty impressive to have somebody so good defensively, and that's the thing about this team. The other day was it was it uh, Tuesday when when they beat Seattle, not just with pitching and hitting, but three remarkable plays. Uh, another good running catch by the center fielder. Uh, Lucroy throws out Dee Gordon in a pivotal eighth inning situation. And, of course, Chapman has highlighted the night when he went all the way over to the tarp and reached over like he was Eric Chavez or Josh Donaldson all in one. Yeah, it's a, it's pretty remarkable. And, you know, Loriano, they pick up for in a minor league deal with Houston at the at mm. conclusion of last year. So here comes Houston into the Coliseum and, and – uh, Loriano is going to be the guy in late innings in center field there. So uh, that and we've already seen guys now do not run on him. There are going to be no extra bases when he's out there. So he he has an impact no matter what because that that arm. Every everyone in Major League Baseball saw that throw the other night, and we've seen guys kind of like ah, start maybe start to take a few steps and then go no no I'm going to stay right here. So it's funny how uh, something like that can change the whole course maybe of a game down the line somewhere john i know you are traveling today thank you so much for joining us as always but particularly on a day where you're racing around and on the the rental car bus and uh we will talk to you again next week sounds good uh, susan thanks a lot awesome thanks This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is The Third by Anatech, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. The show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more A's coverage, you can follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. <laughs>